the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Let's take it afternoon and welcome, ladies and gentlemen. This is Gino Geraci. So glad you could join me on the program. Crosswalk with Gino Geraci. It is, of course, the program where we typically take your calls and answer your questions about the things you care the most about, questions about God and the historical Jesus. We talk about the Bible. We talk about worldviews and world religions. We talk about the past, which includes history. We talk about the future, which includes prophecy. But we also talk about the here and the now. And yesterday, I talked about an important story that was right here in Jefferson County about um, the Jefferson County School District had um, basically assigned a girl to sleep with a boy who identifies as trans without parental notification. And we had an opportunity to talk with the attorney at Alliance Defending Freedom. And um, Alliance Defending Freedom is representing Joe and Serena Wales, They're calling on the Colorado-based Jefferson County School Board and the Jefferson County Public Schools Superintendent Tracy Dorland to clarify, quote, whether Jefferson County Public Schools will continue the practice of intentionally withholding information about rooming accommodations from parents like the Waleses who objected to their child rooming with a student of the opposite sex, regardless of the other student's gender identity. I'm glad that this story has gotten traction and been picked up by news outlets all over the United States. And so I'm looking forward to seeing how that story is going to unfold. But today is Tuesday, and we traditionally have what we call Tough Question Tuesday, where you get to ask, well, the really hard questions about God, the Bible, about Jesus. And so um, if you'd like to join me on the program, it's 303-873-1935, That's the number if you want to join me on the program. And, of course, producer Jim Nichols is standing by to take your call at 303-873-1935. He'll ask you what your question is, and of course we will make every effort to get your question on the program, 303-873-1935. There was an interesting article at um, christianheadlines.com by Milton Quintanilla, and he's a contributor for christianheadlines.com. And, of course, Christian Headlines featured this headline, which has to do with a nativity scene. Um, But the nativity scene is some 800 years old. And in 2023, the Christmas nativity scene turns 800 years old. It was the first, we think, the first 
arrangement of a scene that was done by St. Francis of Assisi in 1223. That's, of course, the 13th century. And according to WHYY News, Assisi's manger scene included live animals inside of a cave in the town of Greccio, Italy, where he told the villagers about the birth of Christ. Now, imagine in a way how um, amazing this was that he would reenact, if you will, the incarnation and the birth story of Jesus with live animals. So following its inception at that time, obviously there's been many nativity scenes. Um, At our house, we probably have, dare I say, five different nativity scenes set up all over the house. I don't know if you have nativity scenes at your house. Again, the number is 303-873-1935. For instance, the Glen Cairn Museum in Bern, Athen, Pennsylvania, hosts an annual exhibition of nativities collected from all around the globe, featuring almost 50 scenes representing dozens of countries, including Kenya, Nicaragua, Ukraine, and Italy. And while the nativity scene typically consists of a father, mother, and child, according to ChristianHeadlines.com, it says the arrangement has multiple variations. Um... Milton Quintanilla writes, he says, um, for example, one nativity scene from Louisiana features alligators rather than livestock, and one of the wise men is playing a saxophone. Director Brian Henderson told the outlet this year that its special exhibition marks the Glencairn Museum's reopening of its castle-like building, which has been closed for 18 months due to infrastructure renovations. He says it's thrilling to have the visitors back. It goes on and uh, says, Meanwhile, A.J. D'Antonio of Malvern grew up fascinated by the nativity scene and has since launched his own business, Navidad Nativity, which builds... Nativity scenes by collecting vintage and contemporary artisan figures. D'Antonio made an Italian-style scene for the museum featuring Christ's visitation amid a busy village scenario. And the museum is about 100 square feet and includes 178 figures created by Tuscan um, Tuscan artists. So... Again, it's interesting, 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 but it made me think, think, think about, well, what does, what do we know? What is Christmas nativity? And it just so happens that we have, yes, an article at gotquestions.org. What is a Christmas nativity at Christmas? gotquestions.org. And I'll get to that hopefully here in just a moment. And we have, of course, um, a recommended resource uh, by my friend Lee Strobel called The Case for Christmas. But if you'd like to join me on the program, it's 303-873-1935. 
1935. That's the number if you want to join me on the program, 303-873-1935. So what's interesting at that article at gotquestions.org, it reiterates the fact that tradition has St. Francis of Assisi creating the very first Christmas nativity scene in 1223. So this, of course, is the 800th anniversary. But what um, the the article didn't say is that that St. Francis of Assisi took a trip to the Holy Land, obviously, to Bethlehem, where they've canceled Christmas this year. So began a new tradition that took root in many Western cultures. So today we can see nativity scenes in front of churches, in front of homes, on street corners, in pageants every Christmas season. And of course, the word nativity comes from the Latin nativus, which means arisen by birth. So a nativity scene is a representation of the night of the the birth of Jesus as it's depicted in the Gospels of Matthew and Luke. So nativities can be pictures, models, demonstrations, carvings. I'll talk more about this. But again, Tough Question Tuesday. If you want to join me on the program, it's 303-873-1935. That's the number. If you want to join me on the program, we'll be right back. Hey, welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. This is Gino Geraci. So glad you could join me on the program again. The number is 303-873-1935. Let's see who's up. Dean, welcome to the program. I keep expecting someday you're going to say ladies and germs. but Yeah, I know. Not. Yeah, just like from the 60s, huh? Ladies and germs. <laughs> hey, um, have you ever seen a nativity scene where the firemen are wearing or the wise men are wearing fireman's hats i think maybe i have because he was brought from afar or something they because the wise men came from afar in the south yeah i've seen some crazy nativity scenes including like a crazy one made out of coke cans where they have a coke that has angel on the side and then a coke can that says jesus and then a coke can um you know it's just crazy and then um just crazy like star wars uh with baby yoda in the manger yeah it it well you laugh but or Batman, or you know Marvel characters, and so the kids take over uh, where they have uh, number one from Star Trek: The Next Generation and Deanna Troy as as Joseph and Mary, and yeah, it's just crazy what people do. But again, it's it, it's interesting to me that uh, the whole concept of the nativity scene originates with Francis and he goes to the Holy land and he visits Bethlehem. This is an, you know, um, prior to, this is during the time of the crusades, by the way. And so Francis makes his way back to Italy and decides that he is going to use living animals to tell the gospel story of the incarnation of Jesus. I, 
it's actually you remember there was a time when nobody had ever done it before. So it's kind wow, of crazy. Hard to imagine. It it I really that, is. I heard that on his death cot he was watching a little mouse play, and he wrote a song. All creatures of our God and King. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, which is That's sung sweet. to this day. Yeah. Yeah, I've been doing a deep dive into the Crusades, and I found out something that isn't popularly talked about, and that is, um, it, at least at one point, the Pope made made it a requirement that um, that Crusaders who had killed a pagan or who had killed a Muslim were required to do 40 days of penance because they'd killed a human being made in the image of God who could have heard the gospel and received Christ and gone to heaven. Um, So it isn't isn't true that uh, Muslims and Christians had exactly the same outlook on what it meant to be human or what it meant to be saved. So it's all very, very interesting to me. Yep. Great show. God bless you. Merry Christmas. Hey, Merry Christmas to you. Thank you. 303-873-1935. Let's see who's up. Shauna, welcome to the program. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much for having me. It's been delightful today. Thanks. So, so personal you? personal statement, I have struggled with fully understanding come to Jesus with the heart and mind of a child. I actually have raised children. I have a grandchild right now, but I couldn't understand to, what it meant to approach the kingdom like that. I just, it was, it was something that's past me. I couldn't get it. <laughs> so I was reading a book that explained it as a child just knows the parent's going to take care of them. So I can interpret that as I can trust Jesus so much that I can just trust him to take care of me. It blew my mind, you know. (laughs) It was so easy to understand in that context. But when you throw in a bunch of other stuff, (laughs) my brain just went, I don't understand. Of course I trust him. He's my Lord and Savior. But trusting blindly, I guess you could say, just because you know he loves you, like in the context of my children know I can take care of them. Of course, I'm human and I don't do it well, you know, but it it blew my mind to look at it in a light, easy way, which is weird to me. It's so simple. No, no, this is, yeah, this, this is great. This is great because again, you know, we, especially as you get older and you think of Ronald Reagan, trust, but verify, but children don't, I don't think of Ronald Reagan, but that was good. Yeah. Yeah. Children don't trust, but verify. I mean, how many children do you know uh, that, I mean, maybe you grew up in a different situation and some children go, grow up under extreme hardship. But Correct, which is why kids, I think it mo- struggled me. Yes. Well, I'd love did it ever kid- just come to me. Yes. Yeah. Most kids don't go, I wonder if my mom's going to give me breakfast in the morning. Correct. I wonder or where I'm going to sleep or uh, if we have to worry or, about yeah, getting somewhere. I won- yeah. Yeah. I'm wondering if the rent is going to be paid. Mm-hmm. I wonder... Um, you know, 
and am again, I safe? children. Am I safe? Yeah, it's it's crazy. Yeah, children children don't typically um, wonder. Can I believe in Jesus without committing intellectual suicide? <laughs> That's a great way to put it. Children don't think that way. Uh, uh, no. Again, there's a kind of magical thinking. But so to me, what's odd odd to me is that the childlike faith sometimes disappears. And so some people think about things differently that if my parents lied to me about the Easter Bunny and the Tooth Fairy and Santa Claus, I'm wondering if they're lying to me about Jesus. Oh, for sure. And, and so there is this sense in the Bible, I think, where the the childlike faith that is encouraged um, is humble and um, trusting. Innocent, yes. Yeah, and and those with childlike faith sometimes look down on those people who ask questions. So there's a twofold way of thinking about this. You know, I've seen a bumper sticker that says, God said it, I believe it, or the Bible said it, and I believe it. And don't get me wrong, when the Bible says it, I believe it. But there comes a point where you go, maybe I need a more robust explanation. Now, Correct. So oh, some, that's a good point. So sometimes childlike faith means you're simple and you don't um, mean, you know, means arrogant faith or um, unsubstantiated faith or taking a leap of faith. But I think I think when the Bible talks about it, I think the Bible talks about it in simplicity and trust. Because I'm encouraged. Uh, you know, I have three boys, and they wound up growing up, but they ask lots of questions. I encourage them to ask questions. So to Those me, questions are good. yeah, what I would say is, guess what? Childlike faith includes, I'm going to encourage people to ask questions. Yes. And give reasons why you believe. So so if a child says, wait a minute, can a child understand that when people die, they don't, normally don't come back to life? Yes. Yeah, I think so. It's a hard thing, but I think it can be done. But imagine when a child goes, but Jesus comes back to life, really, not just in the imagination or wishful thinking, but he really comes back to life. Yes. And they killed it. Children can have such a an amazing thought process one time my son asked you if god had a wife (laughs) yeah how fun huh i gotta go but thank Thank you you, Uh thanks for calling 303-873-1935 that's the number if you want to join me on the program i'll be back Hey, welcome, welcome, welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. This is Gino Geraci. So glad you could join me on the program, 303-873-1935. I was talking about, quote-unquote, childlike faith, but that expression itself is 
not found in the Bible. Um, when you look at Matthew 18.3 and Mark 10.14 and Luke 18.17, he teaches that the kingdom of heaven belongs to little children. But in, in those passages, he's talking about humility and um, the quality of humility, I think. So um, when it says you must become like a child, 303-873-1935, that's the number. I think it, again, doesn't mean naivete or even, quote-unquote, stupidity or or that you have to fool somebody into becoming a Christian. I think it means tenderness of conscience and openness and creativity and imagination. 303 873 1935. That's the number if you want to join me on the program. 303-873-1935. I'm going to read from the American Minute. These are notable events of American significance remembered on the date that they occurred by my friend Bill Federer. And he writes for December 5th, and I quote, quote, a signer of the Constitution, licensed to preach? This was Hugh Williamson, delegate from North Carolina. He was born December 5th, 1735. At the age of 24, he studied theology in Connecticut, was admitted to the Presbytery of Philadelphia, and preached for two years, visiting and praying for the sick. Unfortunately, a chronic chest weakness caused him to seek another career. He traveled to London to study medicine, but not before seeing the Boston Tea Party, of which he testified before a privy council in England, that if Britain did not change its policy, the colonies would rebel. Dr. Hugh Williamson was a surgeon general caring for the wounded North Carolina troops during the Revolution. He helped Ben Franklin conduct electrical experiments. In 1784, during the Congress of the Confederation, Williamson helped write the Northwest Territory Laws. Now listen carefully, because in those Northwest Territory Laws, it forbade slavery and, quote, reserving the central section of every township for the maintenance of public schools and the section immediately to the northward for the support of religion. In 1811, Hugh Williamson wrote, quote, observations of the climate in different parts of America, unquote, giving scientific explanation for Noah's flood and the events surrounding the exodus of Moses. Hugh Williamson was buried at Trinity Church in New York. By the way, Trinity Church is right around the corner from Ground Zero. 303-873-873. 1935, that's the number if you want to join me on the program. 
And, of course, it is Tough Question Tuesday, so happy, happy, happy to take your tough questions. And I want to get back to this um, nativity scene um, situation. And, uh, you know, because uh, uh, we were talking about how um, the tradition of having a t- nativity scene and how Francis of Assisi sort of grabs the opportunity after visiting the Holy Land to create a mechanism in order to tell the gospel story. And so, obviously, there are elements, nativities, uh, scenes usually contain Jesus in a manger, his mother Mary, um, the earthly father Joseph, shepherds, angels, various barn animals, a star, sometimes three wise men bringing gifts. Uh, So a nativity scene is most often set inside a stable or a cave. And there was a time where local ministries would sometimes have living nativity scenes where, again, um, hopefully, prayerfully, thoughtfully with giving the idea of being able to tell the gospel story. So displaying a nativity scene has a longstanding tradition. This year, it's 800 years. But, of course, it still skews a number of actual events of Jesus' birth. You know, obviously, even though uh, wise men are set in the story, the wise men don't come until at least two years after the birth of Jesus. So while each person depicted in a traditional nativity scene is a part of the Christmas story, not all the characters were present on that one night. Clearly, Jesus is born. Jesus is born to Mary and Joseph, and they were in a rock-hewn cave, could have been. It could have been a stable in the sense of, um, it. in other words, this is a place where you would house animals. But the gospel itself never mentions a stable. And so according to both church tradition and the nativity quote-unquote scene, there is a cave-like structure that has the um, tradition of being the place where Jesus was born. The shepherds who are told of the arrival of Jesus leave their flocks to worship the newborn king. Where is that in the Bible? Luke 2.18. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger, or what you might call a cattle trough. However, the angels, which are often part of the nativity scenes, bring the good news to the shepherds in the fields. In Luke chapter 2, verses 8 through 14, where it says, again, in that same region, There were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over the flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not. For behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David, that's Bethlehem, a Savior 
who is Jesus Christ the Lord. And this will be the sign for you. You'll find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with that angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God. So as far as we know, according to the text, we don't know that there were angels visibly flying over the place where Jesus was when the shepherds arrived. But in addition, the wise men, the Bible never says how many they were, almost certainly weren't present (laughs) the first night. The Magi visit Jesus sometime later when they're in a, their own house in Matthew chapter two, verses one through 11. So if you want to have a biblically sort of accurate manger, you might want to put the wise men in the backyard and let them make their way slowly, but surely to the manger scene. So what do we think about Christmas nativity scenes. We'll all talk about that when we come back. 303-873-1935. Hey, welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. This is Gino Geraci. So glad you could join me on the program. The number is 303-873-1935. 303-873-1935. On this Tough Question Tuesday, 303 303- Eight seven three nineteen thirty five, and um, again, we were talking a little bit about Christmas nativity scenes, and um, one of the things that, again, like Francis, uh, so long ago, imagine you just use this as a tool, an opportunity to tell the story about Jesus. What happened that night when Jesus was born? And so, of course, we're living in a culture and a society, and there's a growing group of voices that will tell you that the gospel story or the birth of Jesus, there, there seems to be good, even even historians that deny um, the incarnation, if you will, are willing to affirm Jesus as a historical person. Apparently, Jesus was born. They might say all kinds of difficult things um, about that. But again, the Bible affirms the fact that Jesus was born and Adam and Eve sinned and our relationship with with God was broken. And the promises that have been made in Genesis chapter 3 and in Romans chapter 5, verse 12, we're going to come to pass. You know, again, it talks about, therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, that's Adam, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. And out of love, out of love, God kept his promise to send his son to seek and to save that which is lost. In Luke chapter 19, Verse 10, you'll remember Jesus himself said, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. And so, by all means, Jesus was born in the town of Bethlehem. 
And even though Bethlehem has decided to cancel Christmas this year, we have no obligation whatsoever to cancel joy. 303-873-1935. Let's take a quick call. Tom, welcome to the program. Oh, it's a pleasure. Welcome. Uh, this summer, this summer we talked a little bit back uh, when AI first came on to the web. Yes, artificial intelligence. Uh-huh. And so I signed up for it that day, and I've been playing with it ever since. Oh, chat drawing, GPT. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm, drawing the fun of of its knowledge on Scripture, of course. Uh-huh. And uh, it's it's really interesting. Uh one is it'll apologize to you when it makes mistakes. Uh, Moses hit the rock with his staff, but he was supposed to speak to the rock. Right. And so he said, G-I-A-I, you know, that the, the staff hit it, but And it apologized, you know, like that. But here's the fun. I said, how many gallons of water would it take to feed a million people and their livestock in the desert? Oh, it would take million gallons a day. And I, all those people didn't go up there with a bucket. I said, I understood through reading that, that some of the richer people lived on the beach next to the lake that made. Oh, no, no, that's not in the Bible. <laughs> See, this is interesting. Yeah, because like you, there are many people who are trying to break the AI and, and figure out what, you know, what are the limits and I don't know if you heard me talking. I have a friend, um, Skip Heitzig, who who precedes me on this show. And he's written a book called uh, The Bible from 30,000 Feet. And he's translating his book into Arabic and into Chinese, uh, Mandarin, and into um, Spanish. And an artificial intelligence is able to take his book, take his voice, and then translate it into all three of those languages and then dub his voice speaking in those languages. The technology That's exists. Be good. This, the, yeah, this, so this technology exists right at this very moment. It's, oh, sure. it, it's, so we're, we're, we're going to see some surprising things. And, and I, I was looking at some other quote unquote gadgets of, of, of a, you know, you talk about how you've been working with ChatGPT, but imagine an artificial intelligence that's the size of a silver dollar that you wear on your person that has voice recognition, a laser, and an Internet connection, and it can literally project pages onto your palm. That exists right now. Yeah, that's fun. I find it exciting. I yeah. find it exciting. I, it'll give you Bible, Scripture, time together, give you meaning. And uh, I see it this way. The people that come up with the best questions are going to have the most fun with this. I'm gonna, yeah. I, let, me, let me tell you one idea. It wasn't, wasn't my question, but I asked it of AI. It said a, a father would give his son going off to college a pep talk. What pep talk would God have given Jesus before he came to humanity? I asked it that question. It said, the question you're posing 
involves a speculative and imaginative aspect as there isn't a specific biblical account of God giving Jesus a pep talk before his earthly ministry. However, if we were to approach this question with a creative and metaphorical perspective, here's a speculative and fictional representation. Isn't that, that is interesting when you talk about imaginative and, and again, even the appeal to authority where you go, we can't be sure because, again, the, the concession that perhaps, at least for Christians, if I'm going to take an authoritative stance, I'm going to ask and answer the question, does the Bible have anything to say about this? But apparently, obviously, it doesn't. But to your point, it, that's a, a very interesting response. Oh, it made me weep. This choice of adjectives was overwhelming. Overwhelming. It's a short little thing. You could hear it. No, no, no. I get it. And as I'm, I'm, you know, as I think about quote unquote risks and dangers, you know, uh, obviously, even in my conversation with you, where you go, okay, these are clearly there are advantages. I mean, uh, I, can you imagine if you had the capacity with some sort of interface? that that um, there was a neurological interface um, that could give you instant access to every word in the Bible at any given moment, the Greek and Hebrew and the context, that there was some sort of, um, do I dare use the term, repository or depository of information that you could immediately access. Uh, just like imagine sorting through 41 volumes of Encyclopedia Britannica and go, go to G um, or go to C and look up the Crusades and give me the key dates. I mean, th and then there it is for you. Well, in a way, I have that. It said that David encouraged himself. I have divinity within me. What if it gets louder? And this is just, this is a prep. This is, it's going to get louder, God's voice, all through my life it has. And what does it result in? Discernment. Reflexive discernment. I hear his voice. It gets louder, and it answers all those questions. Yeah, I, I, I'm still struggling with, you know, I am struggling with bias and discrimination. I'm struggling with transparency. I'm struggling with privacy concerns. I'm struggling with ethical dilemmas and security risks. But it's still an exciting, powerful, amazing conversation. But as always, thanks so much for giving me a call. Gino, keep up the good work. Appreciate it. God bless. This is Gino Geraci. When we come back, we're going to have a little conversation with Michael Youssef. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. 
with in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.